with ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors. It is a Reaction Monday, September 25th. We finally have an East Carolina victory to talk about. The Pirates are 1-3 and three after a 44-0 shutout victory over the Gardner-Webb running Bulldogs. East Carolina gets their first win of the year. They get their first shutout since September 2nd against Duke when they won 38-0 over the Blue Devils in 2000. It was 23 years ago. Hard to believe it has been that long since ECU has a shutout victory on the board, but that's what we're talking about today. Yes, it's Gardner-Webb. Yes, it's an FCS team, but at the end of the day, the Pirates did what they needed to do. There was a lot of people nervous about this game. Uh, we, we had even a writer on Hoist the Colors, uh, intern Kaysen, who you'll hear later this week talking some Pirate basketball. He predicted a Gardner-Webb victory. You had some Pirate fans who were nervous about the game. Gardner-Webb came into the contest really Highly competitive in their most recent FBS showing dating back to last year. And for whatever reason, whether it be the rain, whether it be the Pirates, they just could not get on track on Saturday. ECU did get on track, 44-0, to the victory over Gardner-Webb. It is a Reaction Monday. We're taking your questions, comments on Facebook, on YouTube. Of course, we're live on 94.3 The Game. If you want to call in, call in 252-561-8255. Philip Pilkington is producing today along with Scott Rogers, so they'll uh, get you hooked up if you want to call in. we got our East Coast Agency Player of the Week, which may be a unit of the week this week. We'll have that later in the show. But, Philip, man, ECU needed this win. I get the opponent was uh, you know an FCS team, but a, a good F- FCS team and a capable one as they proved against App earlier this year. But forty-four nothing, hard to complain too much, right? Yeah, it is, especially when you play good in all three phases. You know, sometimes you play these FCS games, you go out there, you win big, but still you didn't tackle well on kickoff or on punt. But we did that this week. Or the defense doesn't stay hungry throughout the game, they get complacent. Well, that didn't happen this week either. In the offense, you know, we still saw the great thing is we got to see both quarterbacks play. We even got to see Raheem Jeter get in for a drive to maybe two drives and he got to throw two passes and you got to see a lot of different names and a lot of different faces. And yeah, you didn't see a fall off from the ones to the twos. Now, if we were playing, you know, Tulane, you might see that fall off, but the key is you don't want to see that fall off against an FCS opponent. And I don't think we did either in the talent side or on the fact that the team just stayed hungry throughout all three phases of the game, throughout all four quarters of the game, and I think that was really important. Yeah, a ton of positives, and we'll get through a lot of them. I mean, the defense, of course, uh, with the tremendous performance, limiting Garter Webb, I think, to 107 total yards of offense. They were really under 100 yards most of the day, and for those who were not there, the rain was pretty constant throughout, and it was a mist at times, but the rain was what it was, and you had a wet track. Uh, tremendous job by Joey Perry and the uh, grounds crew for making it playable. But just overall, just a, a messy day, a messy day. And we talked about it going into the game on the pregame show, Philip, with uh, Trent McGee and, and Joe Sampson, that 
We felt like it would favor ECU, given the style of play. I, I don't know if I thought it would favor ECU as much as it did, but Gardner-Webb looked just completely out of sorts. I mean, Trey Lamb is their head coach, former OC at Tennessee Tech, runs a wide-open passing attack, and I thought the most impressive thing from an ECU standpoint was throughout the game, never did Gardner-Webb really gain any offensive momentum. I don't even know how early or how often they crossed the opposing 40-yard line or midfield. I mean, it was ECU was just dominant. It never let them got anything going. So the conditions were what they were, but I thought the ECU defense just smothered them throughout the game. And they didn't only do it to an opponent, but they did it to an opponent that runs the quickest pace of offense that we have seen all year. They did it to an opponent that spreads the ball out more than any other team that we have seen all year. So the Pirate defense was in uncharted waters heading into this game, at least the 2023 Pirate defense was. And to your point, everything you just said happened on top of the fact that, again, they had not seen a team like this, an offense like this, and that was that was really good to see. All right, Russ Walker, and we got a couple of comments on uh, the status of the Gardner-Webb player who went down. Honus Wagner is, na- is his name. He shares the name of the famous baseball player, you know, the card that is uh, one of the more uh, rich uh, or most valuable rookie cards out there. Uh, but Honus Wagner, the Gardner-Webb linebacker, went down during the game. He was carted off. I have not gotten an official statement. I've reached out to Gardner-Webb's media relations department, have not gotten a response, but I've seen posts on social media that he is moving his arms and legs. And somebody said that the player has been active on social media as well. So just it it seems like he's doing okay. Obviously, that was a scary situation when he went down in the fourth quarter. But it seems like he's doing okay. If I get an official response from Gardner-Webb, I will share that either on this show or on social media whenever I get it. But it sounds like he is doing much better. Uh, John Moody adds hats off to the crowd that braved the miserable conditions on Saturday. They had every single reason not to come out, but they did. Yeah, I was stunned. I'm not going to lie. I was expecting maybe five to 10,000 actual people there. The conditions, like he said, were miserable. The team is 0-3. You're playing Gardner-Webb. Now, the the announced crowd of tickets distributed was over 40,000, and there were nowhere near that many people at the game. I saw a lot of people saying, how could they announce 40,000 people? you got to understand, it's tickets sold and distributed that's the number every school in America reports. It's not the actual people there. I would say probably around 25,000 people maybe actually showed up. Maybe that's a little aggressive, but I was pretty surprised that the, the student section was packed. Of course, it emptied out after halftime. I mean, that's pretty standard for ECU and most schools across the country. I saw South Carolina complaining about the students exiting their stadium in a tight game with Mississippi State. So that just seems to be the norm in college football. Uh, but o- overall, Philip, for where the the team was, 0-3, I don't know how it came across on the broadcast or on TV because you're back in the studio, but the atmosphere was good. And I think all things considered, you know, it, it kind of shows why Pirate Nation has the reputation it does. Yeah, it definitely does. It kind of lives up to that Pirate fan base reputation that I grew up always hearing about and unfortunately didn't really experience in my time here because I was in school during the Scotty Moe era. But it just also proves how well Mike Houston and his staff have turned this team around because in the Scotty Moe era, you would never, this is about the norm, even if it wasn't a bad weather game and it was such a crappy weather game. So shout out to Pirate Nation. And I'm sure a lot of those people that 
weren't there that bought tickets are people that live out of town and you know it's hard to travel in those conditions so if i had to guess you know probably 80 to 90 percent of the people that are live in greenville or in surrounding areas right now that had tickets showed up because you did see less rvs that's the thing a lot of people spend the night but they don't pay for a hotel in advance these hotel rooms are booked they rely on their rvs well their lots were underwater so those were the people that are not showing up. That means everybody in town, for the most part, I think was there, and that's that's awesome, especially in a game where, A, the weather stinks, B, you're 0-3, and C, you're not playing a sexy opponent. I mean, it's easy to show up when we're playing South Carolina, NC State, Marshall, not as easy to show up against Gardner-Webb. All right, again, we are taking your questions, comments on social media. We're live on YouTube, Facebook. If you want to leave your comment there, we will read it. Also, if you would like to call in, we are taking calls, 252-561-8255. Again, that number, 252-561-8255. Philip or Scott Rogers back in the studio will get you on the show. William Landon with a good observation. He says that he thought Camaro Edmonds looked considerably leaner the other night. Could you see him getting more touches Moving forward, yeah, Camaro came in uh, late in the ball game, had two touchdown runs. I thought he looked in much better shape when he when he transferred in from North Carolina a couple of uh, I guess it was last summer. He really came in kind of I don't want to say overweight, but not in the the best shape he could be. And he leaned down some. He's leaned down some over time. I thought he looked quicker, explosive. Here's the thing with Camaro, four star recruit out of high school out of Havelock in East North Carolina, super talented. Very explosive athlete, you know, struggled at UNC at times, adapting to the college life. It's just such a big jump. He only played a year there, redshirted, came to ECU, didn't play much playing time or didn't get much playing time last year, of course. And I think just needed some time to adapt. And this summer, everything I heard kind of led me to believe he was moving up the depth chart, kind of putting himself in a position to play. The problem was the running back room was so deep. You brought in, of course, Gerald Green from Georgia Southern. You had Javius Bond, the standout freshman. We're seeing him now. We heard good things about him since he enrolled in January. We have Marlon Gunn, of course, back from last year, and then Rajay Harris. So he was really fifth in line, and for a guy like that, it can be tough to stay on the right path and continue to put in the work, but he did that. And then Saturday happens, Marlon Gunn, Injures his hamstring in practice. He's unavailable against Gardner-Webb. Gerald Green goes down in the first or second quarter. And so all of a sudden, Kamara Edmonds is third on the depth chart. Rajay Harris gets banged up at one point with an arm. And so you're a play away from seeing the field if you're Camaro. He got some time last year. I don't think he made the most of it. This time he made the most of it. Four carries, 28 yards, two touchdowns. Again, look quick. I think with Gunn kind of day-to-day right now, and also with uh, with Gerald Green likely missing some time, you're looking at a situation where he's third on the depth chart. He's going to play. So I definitely see more snaps for him going forward. And the big thing for ECU, we talked about it all, all offseason, Philip, was how deep this running back room is. And we always say, too, we complain about the touches at times, and then all of a sudden it's like two or three guys will go down at one time, and, and then nobody's complaining about touches. It's, it's, the question becomes, do you have enough guys? And, for ECU right now, I think they've got enough guys, and they got a bye week coming up, which should help. But I thought Camaro looked good. Just your assessment of the running back situation after Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that guys are banged up, but, you know, that's part of the game. And 
kind of go back to your point where we complain about touches in this offense. It's not only with the running backs, but sometimes with the other positions. And a lot of that is because of the running backs. And that's a good problem to have, right? You want to sit there and go, man, that guy only touched the ball three times today. That stinks, but we still won. So this is the perfect opportunity for these guys to step up. Look, not that I have any inside information. I don't know. My guess is it's a really packed room. One guy probably would there's a chance would transfer after the year or something just because there are so many faces in the room and younger faces. You know, I mean, Rajay's the only one who's going to – is Rajay a senior? I think he is. I don't even know with the whole COVID Rajay, thing and him getting hurt. He would be a senior without the COVID. He's got an extra year. Okay. So he's a – I guess he's a fourth-year junior. Yeah, so to that point, you know, Rajay will probably stay. So this is a good situation to be in where you do have too many guys because now that – like you said, there's a few guys out. This is going to give some guys the opportunity to establish themselves as that number two back behind Rajay. And don't get me wrong, I do not want to see this offense get to a spot where it's Rajay's the one, the other guy's the two, and nobody else plays. I would love to see three, four, five running backs used a game, but you still need that. Who's our best explosive back? Because Rajay is the power back. Who steps up to be the number one explosive back, explosive playback? And we think we know who that is. Probably, but we're still not 100% sure. So this is an opportunity for some of those other guys to step up and get where they were getting zero to two touches a game. Maybe now this week they get six, eight touches a game, and uh, they establish themselves as the number two guy on the depth chart. Speaking of explosive, Javius Bond could be that guy. I think that's kind of what you're alluding to with could. We may know who that's going to be. Nine carries, 65 yards, and the touchdown, his first career score, 7.2 yards per carry. Also had two phenomenal hits on special teams. So it was good to see Javius Bond kind of get some carries and really get in space because we know he has the ability after watching the offseason and preseason practice. Uh, back to your comments. Again, we got several comments on Twitter to get to throughout the show. We'll start that next segment. John Moody adds, we were right on the edge from getting flooded in our RV Lots over in Elmhurst. Uh, the amount of water that came through Elmhurst was incredible. Yeah, we, we parked with the media. We parked right on the edge of the train tracks over by Elmhurst. And, um, yeah, I, I was surprised that there were as many people tailgating as there, there were. But uh, it was yeah, a few more inches of rain, and it would have been very hairy as far as people actually getting to the stadium in any capacity. But glad people could get to where they could even tailgate uh, for the most part. Zach Daughtry on Facebook says, this just proved we are better than an FCS school. Defense took advantage of a terrible Gardner-Webb performance. Quarterbacks, uh, let's see here. Sorry, my page is jumping all around. Quarterbacks merely managed the game. I was not blown away by the 366 yards of offensive production. Bond looked great, but how much of that was just because our line was able to use their strength over an undersized Gardner-Webb D-line? I'll hang up and listen. I mean, all, all fair points, Zach, and you do have to keep in mind the opponent when you're evaluating the game. But I will say this. Gardner-Webb's defensive front is better than a lot of defensive fronts across college football uh, at the FCS level, and they're probably comparable to the lower half of the American. So I would not say, like, EC was just able to push them around. Now, their secondary is kind of weak. and the, But the biggest thing is, for the, for the people who are not there, and I'm not sure if you were there or not, Zach, it was next to impossible to throw the football with any consistency because of the rain, the wind, these, the field conditions. We saw, what, four or five drop passes that took away how many yards from ECU quarterbacks. We saw missed throws that took away how many yards. 
a lot of that I attribute to the wet football. Yes, we've seen some of that in dry conditions as well, so that's a little concerning. But, you know, offensively, look at how bad Gardner-Webb, which is typically a very good throwing uh, – a very good passing team, very capable throwing team, they, were, they weren't able to function at all. So I would say, yes, you do have to take it somewhat with a grain of salt considering the opponent, but also you have to give ECU credit because they dominated the game. They never left a doubt – Yes, they missed some opportunities offensively, and uh, Gardner-Webb handed them some things, but for the most part, ECU owned the football game. They never let Gardner-Webb really breathe, really have a shot. So, look, we'll know more about this team after the game at Rice. It's another winnable game, but the Pirates are a slight underdog, so we'll see what happens this weekend. But still, it's hard to complain after a 44 nothing win. I understand the skepticism. Uh, but also we saw a lot of good things as well. So uh, we'll continue to touch on your comments and more on the other side. Let's get our first break in. We'll hit to uh, we'll head to Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it these days, and we'll get to your comments there. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Reaction Monday. ECU gets their first win of the season, a 44-0 win over Gardner-Webb. It is a Reaction Monday. Philip Pilkington is back in the studio along with Scott Rogers. Uh, they're taking your calls if you would like to call in. Again, 252-561-8255. Otherwise, we'll continue on with your comments on social media, which everybody uh, wanting to participate there. I will say, though, Philip, uh, 22 comments this week compared to 100 last week. I guess winning cures all, right? Yeah, it sounds like it. I guess they're going to not be asking for as many people's jobs this week. And uh, you just hope for the most part they're positive. Obviously, um, it wasn't a perfect game. I still think there are some things that need to be addressed. But uh, when you're a fan base, at the end of the day, a win's a win and a loss is a loss. And uh, luckily this week, uh, our Pirates came out with a win. No doubt, 44 nothing. All right, let's get to our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. And this, I'm taking the easy way out, all right? You may call this lame. I even think it's a little lame. But it's kind of hard to give the Pirate of the Week award to a single player after a performance like that. I'm giving it to the entire ECU defense. The Pirates get their first shutout in 23 years. They hold Gardner-Webb to 106 yards officially of total offense. They held the running Bulldogs to 1.4 yards per pass attempt, 1.9 yards per rush. Honestly, could not have played much better. I don't think they left like a single receiver just wide open all day long, maybe one or two, but no big bus plays like we've seen in the past. A ton of individual performances, five fumble recoveries. Yes, some of those were gift-wrapped. You had Gardner-Webb just dropping the ball on kick returns, and their quarterback just dropped the ball at one point. But still, you got to be in position to jump on it, and you have to jump on it to make the most of it. The Pirates were able to do that. Jeremy Lewis with a fumble recovery. Jonathan Jones with a fumble recovery. On kick return, Omar Rogers making his first start in a Pirate uniform. The Elon transfer recovered a fumble, as well as J.D. Lampley, who jumped on the, the ball the quarterback dropped, and Jordan Huff recovered a fumble late. Uh, two. And then B.J. Davis, Jeremy Lewis, Deontay Johnson, C.J. Mims were credited with the four force fumbles. And uh, you had several fumbles that weren't recovered as well as Gardner-Webb. I think officially fumbled eight times. But Taylor Jackson, your leading tackler, seven stops. Jordan Huff, six stops. B.J. Davis, two pass breakups. He was everywhere in the passing game. Samuel D- uh, Danka finally got to play. We've been calling for it. 
and he got 19 snaps, and he broke up a pass with some tackles as well. So the Pirate defense, Philip, the Pirate of the Week, yes, I'm taking the easy way out, but uh, any individual stand out for you as you follow the game? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of tough for me watching on a, a streaming deal while I'm watching other games for my scoreboards, but I'm going to go with a position group, I guess, and that is the defensive backs because when you look at the difference in FCS and FBS, you know, we always talk about it, the big thing is the linemen the size of the linemen and the skill guys, there's a little less of a fall off and they, you know, face the team that spread them out more than anyone that we saw different, more complex route concepts than we've seen in previous games. And to your point from earlier, there were no big bone coverages and no long home run plays. So I'm going to go with the really the corners. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the corners played well. Antoine Jackson got his first career start and I don't think he, really allowed a single play. Like, we were watching because we were way up in the box and can see kind of how how great he's covered guys. When you're watching on TV, the TV copy, you maybe don't see the full field, but it's one of those things where when you're looking at kind of the whole field, you're just seeing him backpedal a cut, and even with the rain, he just did such a good job of staying with his receivers. I don't think he gave up a single catch. I know Pro Football Focus uh, didn't even have him being targeted, so – didn't have the pick six like last week, but showed he's more than capable of going out there and playing the majority of the game, locking down his side of the field. Now he'll get a better test at Rice, but I agree. The DBs played well, and uh, the Pirate defense as a whole played extremely well. Again, first shutout in 23 years. The East Carolina defense is our Pirate of the Week, brought to you by East Coast Agency. Stay protected this hurricane season with East Coast Agency, your trusted independent insurance partner. When the storm hits, you'll be glad you chose ECA. Their comprehensive insurance plans are tailored to keep you and your loved ones secure. Remember, it doesn't matter who your agent is until it does. Call ECA at 910-446-5061 or visit their website at www.eca-insure.com. Again, in uh, East Coast Agency with our Pirate of the Week. Let's get to your questions uh, and comments on Twitter. Uh, I do want to add, Zach followed up on Facebook, said, Fair points on the passing game. I was not there because I did not want to cash in my game on our anniversary weekend chips on our first anniversary for the rain and the opponent playing the long game. Thanks, SI. I would say, Zach, good call there. You didn't miss a whole lot outside of a Pirate W. Uh, and we'll get to more of your comments on YouTube, Facebook as we move on. Uh, all right, Twitter, let's get to these people because uh, the X people are important as well. Pirate 24-7 points out in order for ECU to go to a bowl. We now have to go 5-3 and three in conference. I fear we will really be kicking ourselves about that Marshall loss at year's end. Yeah, that'll be the game, Philip. If, if we look back at year's end and ECU's 5-7 and seven or going into that last game, really needing, you know, or really needing that extra win that they don't have, you're up 13-10 in the fourth quarter. I think the good news is, though, Marshall beat Virginia Tech, not that Virginia Tech's a world beater. Um, App State did lose a tough one at Wyoming, but they basically dominated that game. They just made some crucial mistakes at the wrong time. If you look at the yardage, they doubled them up in yardage. So I think your non-conference was about as good as it's going to get, and then the conference still looks extremely winnable. Like Nobody in the league outside of Tulane is really impressing me that much right now. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that's what – who I can't remember who said made the comment made. That's a fan's job. Right to sit there and go, man. If how many more wins can we get this season? What's going to be the game we look back on if 
we don't get the six wins. So I, I totally understand the point of the comment, but to your point there, yeah, UTSA has been disappointing. Um, Rice, despite beating Houston, didn't look very good this week against South Florida. So I think there's a lot of winnable games. You know, I think one of the unfortunate things is Navy is one of the lesser teams, and that's a team for some reason the Pirates do always seem to struggle with, but maybe we can uh, chalk up the struggles to Ken Niamontololo, who's no longer there. So maybe that's something we can look forward to. But right now I think, you know, Jalen Johnson talked about it last week. All of our goals are still in front of us from a team standpoint. There's goals to win conference championships. There's goals to win to go to a bowl game. It's still possible. Um, I know it's not ideal being one in three, but, hey, you know, you can only this, – this week coming up is the biggest game of the year because it's the next one. And you got to win this one, and then you got to worry about win number two before you worry about win number three and so on until you worry about win number six. So um, I understand the point, but uh, I definitely think, to your point, there's there's some opportunities here, maybe some opportunities that we didn't see four or five weeks ago that are looking a little more brightly uh, moving forward. It's the best part about sports, and Philip. Unfortunately, we're we're experiencing the opposite end with our NFL teams right now. It's like, man, are the Broncos and Panthers going to win a game? Uh, is how it yeah. feels. But it's like, you know, from it, <laughs> not to, we could do a whole show on that. But let's, I'd say, what, we'll stay away from it. Uh, either way, um, you know, ECU going to the Gardner Webb game. You had the fan base saying, oh, well. Uh, you know, are we even going to be able to beat Gardner Webb? Now you beat Gardner Webb, you got some fans saying, "Hey, you know, there's not a game on the schedule we can't win. Uh, you know, we can compete for a conference championship." Obviously, you got other fans too, like, "Hey, it's Gardner Webb," which we'll read some of those comments here shortly. What does this really mean? But it's the the swing of emotions from week to week in sports, but especially football, because you have just one day a week for basically that three hours where that's the game, and then the rest of the week we're reacting, we're previewing. And that's what makes it so fun is the swing of emotions, win or lose. You know, it's like all week coming off a loss. Every day is miserable uh, for the most part, you know, unless the circumstances call for, hey, maybe you got a, a rare moral victory and you're excited about that. But it's like if your team wins, you're jacked all week. You're looking at the, the best possible outcomes for the rest of the season. If you lose, you're like, man, our team sucks. We may not win a game, et cetera. You just have that back and forth all, all season, which makes it fun. And can make it hard, uh, like the Broncos when they give up 70 points. Anyways, uh, Pirate Treasure NC on Twitter, he says, a shutout is a shutout regardless of the opponents. 44 nothing is a beatdown any way you slice it. And considering our offensive struggles through three games, he says Garcia still looks suspect in the passing game. You know, Garcia, what did he finish, 9 of 12? I have the stats here. He had 9 of 12 passing, 89 yards. Now, he did miss two throws. But Rajay Harris also dropped a pass, which I thought was one of Mason's best throws of the year. Now, he did miss a, a guy running across the middle on a drag route on that same play, but still improvised, made the throw to Rajay. Rajay would tell you 100 times out of 100 he should catch the ball, rain or not. That probably wouldn't have been a touchdown. Instead, incomplete pass. But I thought Mason looked comfortable. And we can have the quarterback discussion right now before our next break, Philip. For me, look, I, I get it. It's not ideal. I think you're at this point, I don't want to say committing to a two-quarterback system, but it's what you have to do. Mason right now has his flaws. I think we saw what good Mason can be at the end of the game. 
And we saw Alex Flynn still can manage the offense to a lot of different things. He's still banged up right now. I think that's more than evident. You combine that with the rain, he missed some throws. But there were also three to four drops against him as well that make his stat line look a lot worse than it is. But I just don't see either one of these quarterbacks taking this job and running with it right now or really in the immediate future. And so I think you just kind of go with the hot hand right now. Maybe the best plan of action is to start Flynn let him get the game settled down, and then bring in Mason off the bench if needed. And that, that might not be the worst plan in the world. It might not. And, you know, we've, you know, we're going to kind of maybe compare apples to oranges here, but look at our baseball team over the past year where we've had certain guys who've been really good out of the pen, and then they go into that starting role and they struggle. And it's not from a amount of innings they throw it's from just something different about starting as opposed to coming out of the pen and to your point maybe that takes some of the pressure off mason garcia if he is that guy out of the pen or that spot starter here as opposed to being you know just the guy uh, that gets thrown out there ready to go you know every week but um you're right i think where you said Neither guy looks like they're ready to totally run away from this with this job. And now you got to look, Mace or uh, Alex Flynn still, I think, like you said, a little banged up um, from whatever happened to him at the end of the first half of that Appalachian State game. Mason, he looked confident, which was great. However, a lot of those passes, I, I don't have the the document in front of me. I left it in the other room, unfortunately. I think he threw three bubble screens out of those passes. And, you know, there were some other play passes where, like, there was a third and 13 where a speed out was his first read. And he threw it, and it was good. And Jalen Johnson got up the sidelines. Whoever the outside receiver was made a phenomenal block. Can't remember who it was. And, you know, that's part of playing the position, too. But he didn't really get to make a lot of three- and five-step drops and throw the ball 12, 15 yards down the field. And that's what it's going to take to be a starting quarterback in this league. However... Him just seeing guys catch footballs, the fact that 75% of his passes were caught, I think can go a long way into him becoming that because I think like I've been you know, kind of saying each week now with Mason, it doesn't seem like a lack of talent. It seems like a lack of confidence. So I hope that this week served as a huge building block for him. And then, you know, like I said with Alex, he makes some great throws, but if he's not fully healthy, and I'm not really sure where his injury is, but if it's one of those where it's, hindering him in any way we saw how bad Tulane was a few years ago with Michael Pratt when they went two and ten because even though he played most games he wasn't fully healthy and then he came back last year and was fully healthy and they go on and win the Cotton Bowl so and I'm not trying to compare to that situation but the point is a banged up quarterback is a lot worse than say a slightly banged up running back or slightly banged up defensive player and to go to your point I pulled up the numbers from pro football focus on Mason yeah, 13 pass attempts, including I think one that was wiped out by a penalty. Zero past 10 yards in the air uh, through the, you know, as far as throwing the football. So a lot of short passes, which again, the rain played a lot of role in that. But, um, you know, if, if he's as efficient as he was and guys are making plays after the catch, then that's then that's fine. But how, you know, consistently are you going to be able to rely, rely on that against better competition? So. You know, hopefully if Mason continues to get his shot, we do see him push the ball down the field. But a really good day for Mason. I thought he looked much more comfortable regardless. But good observation there. From Philip Wright, I'll read a few more comments and we'll take a break. Uh, Daniel on Twitter says, energized by the crowd that did show up, energized by the run game is how he's feeling, and he's absolutely pumped about the defense. But more than anything, happy for the players and coaches. He feels like there is some relief, and it will allow everyone to grow and get better. Nothing cures like winning. There's uh, no doubt about that. 
Colby on X says we are undefeated in the three quarterback system era as uh, Raheem Jeter made his East Carolina debut and officially led a touchdown drive. And uh, then you have the other side of the coin. Josh Pruitt says, I feel no different than I felt after the App State game. Yes, it was nice to finally get a win, and hopefully these kids got some confidence. But in the end, it was Gardner-Webb. So, the uh, you know, that's fans. Fans will be fans. You get the different v- viewpoints. So, all right, let's get our different – or let's get our second break in. We will come back. We'll have some more comments as well. we got a few more people chiming in on Facebook, YouTube. So if you want to continue to leave your comments there, do that. We will do – that throughout the show we got a couple more segments before we get out of here on this monday it is reaction monday ecu wins 44 nothing over gardner webb we'll be right back here there be pirates back to hoist the colors with steven i go how good is this on 94.3 the game all right welcome back into the show on this monday reaction monday east carolina defeats gardner webb 44 to 0 for the first one of the year they're now one and three they'll Head to Rice, head to Houston, Texas this weekend, 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern, the kickoff on Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. Philip Pilkington back in the studio, Scott Rogers as well, hanging out, and uh, we will get to more of your comments now. Let's head back to X as we continue to roll down some of your comments, and we let this be the show every Monday as we react uh, along with the rest of you guys. All right, Chris Melvin on X says, I expect an up-and-down season with the inexperience we have. But there is hope. He says, let's see how we do in conference one game at a time. Dennis says it was a win we had to have, and even even versus an FCS opponent, a win is a win. Good to see the penalties cut down, hoping we can carry the momentum to Rice, win that one, and let's have a big crowd for Thursday Night Lights versus SMU. Yeah, just five penalties for East Carolina, which is uh, much better than it was. They've basically been averaging 10 or 11 through the first three games of the season. Bluebeard on Twitter says, hopefully the offensive line is coming together. We'll see Saturday. Their performance is fundamental to running and passing games, losing the two to transfer. Hurt, he's speaking about Avery Jones and Nashad Strother. He also adds the young quarterbacks would benefit from that extra half second more to process coverage and backs from slightly larger creases to run. Yeah, I mean, they made some significant offensive line changes. We haven't touched on that yet, but they moved Hampton Ergel from right tackle back to center. That's where he started the bowl game. As a result, you had Dustin Hall, the USF transfer, slide to left guard. Parker Moore stayed at left tackle. At right guard, you had Jacob Sacra, and then you had Akron transfer Owen Murphy at right tackle. And I thought the offensive line played well. There were still some miss, uh, miss blocks. There were still... Too many pressures at, at certain times or just missed blocks in the run game. But overall, they graded out as best as they have this season. I think that was crucial to what we saw with the offensive times. It's still a work in progress, but when you're moving guys around, especially from tackle to center with a new offensive line coach, it's going to take time. But I do feel like this is their best combination. I just hope they can stay healthy is the big thing. Uh, Jay, the Jets fan, says he likes bringing in Mason Garcia on the goal line. He thinks Flynn should be the starter from now on. we got to step up and go with the hot hand at running back. Yeah, what did you think about that, Philip, the, the bringing in Mason Garcia? If he's not going to start, I agree. you got to use him somehow. I mean, he's 6'5", 220, and like, that's a play that Flynn probably gets stopped. And we saw Mason kind of power his way into the end zone there. Yeah, you know, there's the old school saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. But I think when you use a quarterback – in a wildcat type format down by the goal line, 
I'm okay with that. You know, that's how uh, you being a Broncos fan, remember, that's what Tim Tebow was doing his rookie year before he became a starter halfway through the year. That's what Thomas Cert did at Duke before he came to ECU, and we tried to make him an every-down quarterback. And the teams I'm mentioning were successful in those things. Um, and you still see it some in the NFL, or more so in college with certain guys. But, um, you know, for instance, like the Panthers a couple weeks ago wanted to run a QB sneak, and they brought Andy Dalton in because he's a bigger body. So I think certain packages for a guy, you're not almost running with two quarterbacks. You can still have one quarterback and then have a wildcat quarterback. And like you said, kid's a heck of an athlete. That's where he's going to thrive. He's a threat to run. Uh, it almost brings you another running back into the backfield, and obviously he can throw a heck of a lot better than the average running back. So by all means, have goal line packages for him. Have third and two, fourth and two uh, packages for him when you really need that first down at crucial points of the game. Yeah, Matt, with a similar take here, he says he likes what I saw for the most part. We'd like to see more explosiveness on offense when we get some good weather. But he says, I think we need to use Flynn and Garcia like 2006 Florida Gators, use Leak and Tebow, as we were just talking about that. Garcia is too talented to be left on the bench for all 60 minutes. So I agree. Even if Flynn ends up being the guy, you know, you got to find a way to take advantage of Mason's size, especially in a game like that. So uh, I thought that that was a great, you know, we give Donnie Kirkpatrick and the offensive staff, you know, a lot of flack for the early struggles. But, you know, you do have to credit them when they do make some some good calls like that. So that was good to see for sure. All right, uh, a few more comments here. Destry says he's optimistic. This team has a lot going for it. The question is, can the young offense do enough while it's growing to squeak out six wins? Rice is a must-win towards that goal. It won't be easy. Rice is a veteran team that's been consistently improving under this regime, is what Destry says. Drew chiming in. He says, fix special teams, miss PATs, miss field goals, two kickoffs out of bounds. We will be fine as a whole but need to continue to improve on the fundamentals. I agree, Drew. I think the special teams had looked good through three games. I do wonder how much of that was weather-related. Phillip and and Coach Houston did say after the game, the kickoff specialist, Laith Marjan, basically, I guess, didn't look at the wind, uh, which led to a couple kickoff out of bounds. But those are things that, you know, definitely got to be cleaned up, especially going into, you know, conference play. Yeah, they do. And, you know, there's two sides of special teams, right? There's the kicking the physical kicker, the punter, the snapper, the holder, and then there's you know kind of everybody else. And I think the bright side, and I kind of hit on earlier in the show, is everybody else looked good. You know, we we tackled well, we blocked well on our returns, didn't have a lot of special teams penalties. But yeah, the kicking thing is unfortunate. But um, you know, he brings up you know not looking at the wind. That's just something that a young kid. Hasn't been in as much of those situations. You make those mistakes. But these are the kind of games where you want to make those mistakes and you can learn from them. Um, I was out there in the other studio actually cutting the highlight of the touchdown. So I did not even see the missed PAT. But it did sound like it was a snap issue. And again, when it kind of looked like there wasn't quite standing water on the field. But you could definitely tell on TV where players had stepped recently and had not stepped recently. So I'm sure it was a little slick. And I understand you know, weather's not an excuse, but to an extent it kind of is. You know, both teams are playing in the same elements now, of course. But when you get as much rain as we did, the kicking game's going to suffer first. So I'm not too up in arms about that. Um, yeah, there's been some missed field goals, but at the end of the day, solid special teams, especially, like I said, from the guys who are, you know, not the specific kickers, the specialists, which is which is always a good thing to see. Yeah, Javius Bond with a couple of huge hits. That was awesome to see. 
uh, and kickoff coverage. K Trust chimes in. He says, even though conditions weren't the best, the drops continued and quarterback play is still a concern, but that defense will give us a shot to win every game. He also adds, feed Shane Calhoun. This must be Joe Sampson's burner account. Uh, it, 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 it might be my burner account because I've been talking about feed Shane Calhoun for years. I think he was only targeted once or twice during the game. Still want to see him more involved in the offense. Uh, true Tex Pirates adds, handled their business yesterday. That's a game I expected to be close. Reserved optimism is what he's feeling. Looking forward to how they perform on the road in Houston next week. And then Rohan says, I'm still worried about our offense. We scored 44 points, but we had a lot of short fields from turnovers. Only one scoring drive was more than 50 yards. I mean, I think, I think it's fair at this point, Philip, to say the jury's still out on the offense. I mean, I just don't, I just, it still doesn't look great. And I think there's still a lot of moving parts. I think it was better, but there were still some missed opportunities. And I'm beginning to think it's kind of going to be like this for most of the year. And, and at this point, as a, as somebody watching from the outside, I'm just hoping for incremental improvements offensively. And hopefully you start to establish more of a quarterback system, whether it's two quarterbacks or one guy eventually running with the job as the year moves on. But then also rely on your defense. I think we saw this defense can be pretty dang good when they're not busting coverages and when they're making tackles. So I think it's just going to be like this all year, and it's just a matter of how good can ECU be with this style. That is true. And the one thing that I want to hound in on what you said there was the jury's still out. I think that's important after this game because I think there were some Pirate fans worried that after this game we were going to be writing it in that the offense was bad. And they did it good enough because arguably we had thought that through three games. They did good enough to at least get us back into the jury is still out on the offense. There's still some optimism there or maybe some regained optimism in this offense. And uh, it's kind of to your point, like it's probably going to be like that the most, most of the year. I don't think the offense is going to be the strength of this team. But at the end of the day, if the defense can keep you in games and the offense can not make the big mistakes, you know, six, seven, eight plays to find a football game. Let's win those six, seven, or eight plays because I think this offense is good enough to keep you in games. Yeah, maybe they're not the uh, team that you want driving you down the field with 40 seconds to go down five points, but if they can keep you in those, ga- in those games, the defense can play to their full potential. And like I said, we can make and win those six to seven plays a game that are the game-changing plays, we can win a handful of football games this year. All right, that's the voice of Philip Pilkington. I'm Steven Igo. Let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show, get your final comments in as well. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. We'll be right back. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steven Igo. Drink up me, Aussie Joe Ho. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back into the show on this Reaction Monday. ECU beats Gardner-Webb 44-0. We got our final segment. Wanted to share as many of these final comments as we could. William added that uh, he wanted to give a shout-out to J.J. McLam and his crew, of course, uh, the associate AD at ECU. He says, I made a couple of operations suggestions after the Marshall game, and all of my ideas were implemented this past week. And so good to see that uh, for sure. So shout out to JJ and his crew, which is hard at work, especially given the weather conditions of this past Saturday. Uh, Robert says USF seems to be playing above their weight. The Pirates don't play the Bulls this year, which is interesting. Of course, with the 14-team league, you got some matchups that will not take place. But USF has been solid. They get the big win over Rice. 
And then the big story with Rice is JT Daniels. He left with an injury. Russ also wants me to go figure out if JT is hurt. He's definitely hurt, Russ. It's just a matter of how hurt he is and if he'll be able to play this week, uh, which we'll talk about that here in a second. Alan Powell on Facebook says he is first extremely pleased with the physicality and tackling from the last game. That was outstanding. He says the Rice game is massive. First conference game and a bye week after. We need this one badly. Yeah, this is a big one, Philip Philip Elkinson back in the studio. You know, we were kind of talking about it last week. If you find a way to win this football game, going into a bye week, followed by a Thursday night home game, national TV, ESPN versus SMU, all of a sudden your your season, that cautious optimism a lot of people right now, I think becomes rabid optimism. So this is a huge game on Saturday. There's no doubt, right? Yeah, it is, especially because of the fact that you're 0-2 on the road. And, yes, one of those places is in the big house, and one of them is at a hostile app environment. But just to go out there, win that conference game, like Jalen Johnson said, you know, all of our goals still in front of us. And that really does give the fan base, I think, like you said, a big-time optimism because they're cautious now because, at the end of the day, it was still an FCS opponent. And regardless of how good or bad we think Gardner-Webb is, they still have the letters FCS next to their name. Rice doesn't have that. They have FBS, and that's what the fans want to see is that conference win, that American Athletic Conference win, and that FBS win. And then that's when they're going to really feel good to say, hey, you know what, we can go out there and compete with anybody this year, and we still stand a chance to make a bowl game. So USF beat Rice 42 42- to 29 and rice was leading the game 21 20 when jt daniels left jt daniels left the game in i think the the end of the third quarter maybe the start of the fourth at that time he had already thrown for 432 yards for rice now i will say you look at the box score rice finished with 492 yards total i'm going to allow you to guess Philip. how many uh how many of those yards do you think were passing I told you JT Daniels total. He had 432 passing yards. They finished with 492. How many uh, do you think they passed for? 438. 491. They had one wow. yard rushing. Wow. I was going to say maybe the backup <laughs> stunk and they they can't throw the ball without him. But, oof, one rushing yard. Now, yeah. in college, sacks do count against your rushing yards. Sacks do which count. Which got a little bit to do with it still. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, JT Daniels had negative 23 on sacks, but still, they, I mean, they probably had, looking at it, their backs had about 19 yards rushing. So, look, it's probably going to be a, uh, you know, a lot will depend on JT Daniels. And the line opened at four and a half. Rice was favored. It's already down to two and a half. So, a lot of people on ECU with the, the, uh, the Rice quarterback situation, but don't know at this point. There's no mandated college injury report. So, we'll see. How that plays out. Uh, we got a couple seconds left. Russ also asked, do you think we open the playbook up more with conference play? I mean, I think the playbook is kind of what the playbook is, and a lot of it is dictated on who's at quarterback and who's playing well. So I don't I don't expect this offense to look a whole lot different than it has really for the last number of years. But we'll see this weekend. It, it will be a big week, big weekend, big game in Houston as the Pirates take on Rice. All right, that is the, that'll do it for our Monday show as we reach the end of the program. Thanks again to all the comments, to all the questions on this Reaction Monday. Appreciate Philip Pilkington back in the studio and Scott Rogers for producing as well. We'll be back tomorrow, 9.30 live stream with Joe Sampson, and we'll be live on the air at 12 noon at 94.3 The Game. We'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors.
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 the game.